Welcome to episode 425, where I sat down with screenwriters and showrunners Paul Lieberstein and Aaron Zellman. You'll know Paul, who plays Toby on The Office. He also has credits for King of the Hill, The Drew Carey Show, Ghosted, Space Force, and now Lucky Hank. Aaron Zellman has credits for Law & Order, Criminal Minds, Damages, and The Killing. In this interview, we talk about their adaptation of the Richard Russo book, Straight Man, into Lucky Hank. This is the third of our Lucky Hank interviews for the week. We also talk about getting Bob Odenkirk to come on as for the role, the characterization of George Saunders in episode two, what it means to find your driver as a writer, and how they staff the writer's room along with some false beliefs they had earlier in their careers. If it's your first time here, make sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll also see this interview on the Creative Screenwriting website. And I'm also giving away my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, over at brockswinson.com. That's the book and audiobook. Get that right now based on this podcast for free. I don't know. I think it was just like just loving some uh, some books and some like, uh, and it was particularly interested in comedy, like writing comedy. Woody Allen short stories and some Steve Martin albums and just absolute obsession, you know, and then, uh, and then, you know, in the twenties kind of learning that, Oh, there's a, there's a whole industry there. You can actually do that, you know, um, cause I had never met anyone grow over to you, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Aaron. Um, God, it's funny. You know, I remember, uh, having taking a, well, there was an English class when I was in, when I was um, fourteen, a freshman that I you know wrote a story for, and I was really happy about it. My my English teacher was very complimentary about it, and I thought, um, well, that was cool, that was fun. I, I enjoyed doing that. And then around tenth grade, I took another writing class, and and I I got really into it. And I thought, and I have this somewhere. <laughs> See, I actually have this somewhere. It says um, uh, I wrote down in a journal because we had to journal in this class that you know. I really like writing. I think it might be something I could do for a living. I don't think I'm very good at it, but I like it a lot. <laughs> and uh, and then it, you know, then it really grew into, and then I kind of forgot about it for a while. And then it, then it grew into, um, or I said, I should say, it dovetailed with my interest in in theater. And I did a lot of theater in school. Did a lot of acting. Did a lot of did improv comedy in college and all that kind of stuff. And and the more I did that, the more I was interested in. in actually creating the stuff that I was, you know, doing. I mean, I wanted to be kind of behind this. To me, it was more exciting to think of not just performing it, but really like writing the lines and um, yeah, kind of what it, what, what, but I, it was, there was always an interest from very young. So we might jump around a little bit. So when I, when I watched Lucky Hank, it's got a couple things going on, but like Aaron, you're maybe more known for darker stuff like The Killing. Paul, you're more known for comedies. It kind of does feel both. How have you guys seen the expectations of genre change in the last like 10 or 15 years? It feels like everything is kind of expected to be a little funny, maybe a little dark, some up and down. How do you guys see it today? That's a great, that's a great question. I mean, it does, it's certainly easier to, you know to get an audience on board for unexpected, you know, turns that, uh, dark turns, like turns, you know, whatever turns away from, from maybe what you've been watching for the last episode or two. So yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely true. Audiences are more accepting of, um, uh, of that. And I don't know, we just, I, I mean, I I'll let Paul talk for himself, but for me, it's just, we, I feel like we just follow what interests us and, um, 
the comedy was def definitely a big part of, you know, that's what drew us to the book probably more than anything. But if you read that book, there's very, some very serious stuff in there. And, and we didn't want to, you know, we wanted to capture the spirit of the book. Um, and there's, there's, there's some really darker underlying currents that define the character of Hank. And we didn't want to shy away from that. It's interesting that, the, you know, something we had to talk about a lot, just like the storytelling demands of the hour. You know, it's just like, how how little can we do? You know, because we really wanted to kind of just do uh, people that are living, you know, without any like soap stuff, without any like arching, overarching concept. And um, so we were we were really kind of stretching the, the boundaries of uh, how little we could do, knowing that, you know, we had an obligation you know, to, to keep people, uh, interested. Um, yeah, there was a lot of just kind of trial and error. And I think every episode we wrote, we probably wrote four times. Just trying to get yeah, we, we, right. We wanted to, I think that the, the thing that we kept coming back to, it's like you say, Paul, like, yeah, doing, doing as little as possible, meaning like not try to impose some, you know, bigger conceits, um, that, you know, not throwing a murder. I mean, that's the easiest, right? It's, uh, we wanted to see, you know, if we could really, it was kind of a challenge. Can you keep an audience interested and sustained without do you know, for an hour long show without doing that kind of stuff? Because uh, in our lives, I don't know, my life, things feel pretty damn dramatic without a, without a murder to solve. And we wanted to have an audience kind of go on that ride too. Yeah, the high drama of everyday life was kind of what we were trying to uh, um, capture, what we said to each other. So you guys are both known for having great characters, very behavioral-based characters. Tell me a little bit about what you liked about Hank and then how kind of Bob Odenkirk came to get involved. Well, Hank, I mean, Hank, you know, it's funny. We, we I think so in some ways, once Bob got involved, he articulated better than I could have. But there was a there was a worldview of Hanks that I think, um, you know, that I really related to. I mean, he's more cynical than I am, I think, for sure. But uh, there's a kind of attitude of, you know, people are always trying to sell you a lot of crap. And, you know, he just he does he doesn't he doesn't like bullshitters. You know, he doesn't like bullshit. Yeah. And, to a fault and, time, and to joke and to joke your way through life is a very very valid way to go through life you know for him and uh i thought that was very i mean he's, he's a fun character so i've seen yeah. and yeah. then he was also kind of going through some stuff he's going through some stuff in the book you know with trying trying to um wrestle himself away from like uh the issues that he was dealing with as a kid you know, which we, which Aaron and I both was like, yeah, this is a, this seems more real than, than um, most of the other conflicts we've given to characters before, you know, um, and something we both like embarrassingly said, we just kind of deal with all the time. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, embarrassing. You know, we, we talked about how, you know, one of the themes we wanted to explore of the show was just how how your relationship with your parents kind of never ends, right? I mean, you can be 
50, 60, 70 years old, even your parents after they're dead and you still, you still, it still affects you. You can't really get away from it. And it is embarrassing sometimes as a, you know, full grown human yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to admit that you still want to impress your parents. I mean, you know, you still want that attaboy. Still looking for approval. Yeah. Like, right. When they're, 80, when they're 85 years old and can hardly, you know, tie their shoes. <laughs> you still want it. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's real. It's very real, and I think it's uh, we don't like to admit it, but it's real, and we, and we wanted to explore that. So I've seen a few episodes. Uh, I haven't read the book though. Does the does the characterization of George Saunders come from the book? Was that hard to do? Tell me about like the process because he's like known, but maybe not well known at least as a personality. Tell me a little bit about that episode too. Yeah, that was definitely not from the book. That was something we thought of, and it was just. Uh, I mean, just as a basic idea, it was like, what happened? Because here are people that are very smart. You know, these professors are very smart and they were very ambitious at one time in all of, in in their own ways. Um, And, you know, remain to be, remain ambitious, but they, they took this job at a, at a kind of middling college and they couldn't get out of it. They're trapped. So, um, and so every each one of them is disappointed in a way, you know, they can't, they're not just satisfied. And, and, uh, and so we thought, okay, let's bring someone really successful to the campus and just see the crisis that it puts them all in, you know, and just kind of, yeah, we, we, we originally, we, you know, we were trying to think of who, who that could be. And, you know, we went through a lot of ideas when, you know, and, and, and we thought of some of our favorite authors, you know, and, and we, we ended up um, landing on Saunders and he was, we, you know, we had to contact him because we, because we, at first we were like, ah, well, we're probably not going to be able to actually use his name. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just do like a, like a fake, you know, guy who's obviously a stand in for him. But then um, we talked to his people and they were really into it and he was really into it. And we talked to him directly and he had, we gave him the script and he had some thoughts about his dialogue and it just became so it was amazing. Yeah. We couldn't believe it. I mean, we couldn't, we, we were like star Trek uh, struck that we got to talk to him. Um, but he couldn't have been cooler about it and, and had some great dialogue, uh, you know, that we literally just used, um, kind of inspiring but, dialogue. I mean, it was, inspired, like, yeah. it was writing teacher dialogue and it, yeah, was, it, was, it was George oh, Saunders. Wow, dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Uh, but he he was uh, he was great, and 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 we and he really got it. He just got what we were trying to do, and he thought it was really funny. And he also gave us some ideas for it because he's done, you know, part of it was research. I mean, he's done a lot of those speeches on on colleges like this, um, and he told us what that that was like. And so we got some ideas from that too. Did you kind of have to over deliver with that? Did you have to show him like the first two pilot like scripts or an episode or like I'm just, it's it's such an odd thing to have a conversation around? No, I mean we gave him the final draft to 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 sign off on, but um, no, after he took his pass, uh, after he read you know our our pass yeah. um, and uh, tinkered with his dialogue, he was good, you know. Um, we I did ask him if he would if he wanted to play the part because we would have we would have had him do it gladly. Yeah, and he was, uh, he was very funny about it. He goes, 
uh, I remember the first thing. Like, I'm. Uh, that's. I think I'm. I'm eighty percent sure I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we're like, really? There's so there's a chance. And he kind of he said, let me let me think about. I, I you know I don't want to. I don't know. I think I'm just going to embarrass. <laughs> Self. And, you know, we were like, no, 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 you know, that's okay. And anyway, in the end, he said, you know, I just don't think that's, that's a good idea for me. But, uh, but it was definitely something we would have, we would have loved him to do it. But, um, but anyway, it, it didn't matter because the guy who did it, Brian was just amazing. And we were so happy with the results. So part of that episode, for those who hadn't seen it, obviously there's a juxtaposition between the two, not only as teachers, but as writers, how do you guys see after writing for all these shows you're known for, you already kind of said small steps of of growth or maybe not growth in Hank's case. How do you kind of see that? Like when you're plotting out a full season, how do you think about those making smaller arcs that are still interesting? That's another great question. I mean, that's it. You nailed it. That's the work of it, right? That's the yeah. The, the I mean, and, error. and these realizations that people get, um, they don't come around very often and you know it takes a season to build to one right um, and we kind of let him let him have that time and then i don't even know if you know i don't even know if they stick you know we have these realizations and then we can't we can't fix them <laughs> we can't fix ourselves um but it helps for a little while you know yeah we talked a lot about that you know one of our writers Actually, two of our writers wrote for Mad Men, um, which has always been one of my favorite shows. And and one of the things I liked about Mad Men so much was that, you know, when you explore that, that the, uh, the character of Don Draper would, you know, he'd have realizations, but then often kind of <laughs> he, would, he would go back to his old self. And I, I found that to be a very real way of storytelling um, that it was just a nice way to remind myself that, you know, um, for me, I'm just talking for myself, like no matter what we do with a moment of, of, of um, self-awareness or an epiphany, it doesn't mean you can't then as we do in life kind of revert, fall back. You know, it doesn't mean that character has to forever then be changed as you move forward. Like in, in say a movie, you know, mm. it's not like that. TV is much more like the rhythms of life. And um, we wanted to leave ourselves open to the possibility that he could backslide and, you know, and it's not a straight line necessarily toward his Hank's, you know, self, whatever fulfillment or awareness or actualization. Do you guys see more freedom in creating these long arts with less episodes? You guys have both written for shows where there's 20 some episodes a season, which seems impossible. Like, do you see more freedom in like, having a more interesting arc for eight episodes. I don't know. Freedom. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to think about it, an eight hour movie, you know, because in a way it's, it's a relatively new form, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so we're still, we're still in the business of like inventing it, you know, it's still, it's still getting invented, I think, which is, which is a cool freedom to do something new and to still be part of defining, you know, something. Yeah, you're right. In that sense, it is, it is freeing that, that it's hard for people to tell you you're not doing it right because it's kind of like, well, what is right? I mean, we're all, we're all figuring this out. 
especially our show because we really you know you said it earlier but um it really was an unusual thing that we were trying to do you know a, a, an hour-long show that wasn't soapy it wasn't um you know didn't have life or death stakes um we didn't know it would work you know and, and we were very proud of the results but it wasn't it wasn't a certainty going into it that it was going to be successful yeah you know there's usually with our i didn't i i wasn't uh you know as familiar with the hour you know as as aaron um i'd only um you know waited in a couple of times but every time it was like what's your driver that was a big you know which is not something we we tended to ask in comedy i mean we wanted to know what the comedy drivers were but they were all you know it's it's a character thing um but you know yeah so the hour longs always have the story driver like is it is it uh some type of procedural or what's the thing you can what you can do every episode you know and for us to to take that away and to just say we're gonna do we're gonna find it with character was um was pretty challenging tell me about so those who hadn't seen the show they've maybe seen the trailer where he gets the spiral notebook caught in his nose is that from the book? Is that something where it's like the response that he says is funnier is fun, funnier than the odd thing that happens? Tell me about how you think about something like that. The event itself is from the book. Um, the smack, some of the dialogue is ours. Um, not if it's yours. You know, this original work of it, not if it's yours is ours. Um, but it was that character and it was that, you know, basic... Yeah. You know, he was teasing her about her her poetry. Um, so that was that was one of the yeah, that was one of the scenarios that was definitely um that, that was kind of there's the some stuff that was visual in the book that we had to kind of uh you know take a beat on mm-hmm. and say, is this gonna play? You know, because in the book he also strangled the geese, he held it by his neck. And we're like, we're not going to get away. We're not going to be able to do this. Everyone's gonna, it, we won't get around from that. Everyone will hate yeah. it for good. Yeah. It's going to be disturbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be comic. <laughs> so we had him kind of uh, boxing a goose with no actual contact. <laughs> I mean, so what um, do you, where do you but guys start? The, yeah. the notebook, I think we, I think it was a bigger, uh, a bigger injury in the, in the novel. And we're like, well, we can't have him eight episodes long with this big bandage on his nose. Yeah. Right. Where did you guys kind of start looking at the book? Is the book just used to create a, a tent poles for the story? Like, how do you guys think about that? And then when do you feel like, okay, that's enough. We've got it to go in our own direction with. Yeah. Again, that's so much was trial and error. I mean, we, we had a, you know, well, the first thing I think we sat down and we said, okay, what are, what are all the chapters? What if we, you know, chapter and episode, really, what would that look like? You know, and it quickly kind of fell away, but I, I mean, you know, cause you know, it's, it's the realization I've adapted a bunch of novels and even some nonfiction. And, it, you know, it's like, I learned the same lesson every time, like, you know, novels are not TV. <laughs> It sounds obvious, <laughs> but you I don't know. You always think like, ah, what if well, this is great? Why don't we just, you know, and now you, the demands of television are, there's so much story demand. There's so many story demands that you have to, and you end up having to create so much more story. But at the same time, 
you know, I know Paul's fond of saying this and is true. I, you know, in the end, we ended up going back to a lot of stuff in the novel that we didn't think we were, we ended up using more in some ways, um, as you say, like sort of tentpole moments, bigger, mm-hmm. bigger turning points. But the little stuff in between was almost all invented, you know. How do you know that you guys have done so many shows, uh, maybe for this one particularly, how do you think about staffing the writer's room? You mentioned having some people from Mad Men. Was it just like a variety? Are you still reading spec scripts? Are you looking at any novice writers? Like, how do you think about some of those things? All of that, you know, we, we wanted some people with, uh, some, uh, presence in academia and we did, we found, uh, we found two writers, um, and they were both relatively, neither one of them was a staff writer, but they were both relatively new to uh, um, writing TV. Um, yeah, there was a lot of reading. Uh, there was looking, you know, there's looking at, you know, I think when you're staffing a show, you, the first thing one might think is like, who are my go-to people? You know, who, who, who have I worked with who's going to be perfect for this? Who I, I just really want sitting next to me and we each had uh, a person like that and um and then it was like okay let's find some people with experience let's find uh some new voices you know and we read we read a lot are there less of those go-to people like it seems like especially in the office so many people kind of graduated to go do their own shows and stuff like that it seems like people are being showrunners quicker and quicker uh how do you guys think about that it's like oh this person's got too many things going on now it's a scum on the staff there's yeah. some of that for for sure yeah i mean you know that, that's a good point i mean there, there that definitely is a challenge sometimes and you just gotta think sometimes people do it as a favor you know in between gigs and between show running jobs or whatever or if, you know is there a slot um uh, but look, that's, that would be the case anyway, probably, I mean, after, you know, you've been around a while, like we have, um, it's not like, it's not like we, we know a lot of staff writers, you know what I mean? We have to be introduced to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, you know, through agents and through, through, um, our executives, through our producers and stuff like that. But yeah, you gotta keep, you know, you gotta keep meeting people. Because like you said, yeah, that's what happens. They graduate and they do their own thing and they're not really staff writers anymore, you know, writers for staff anymore. During your time, like when a spec script does really stand out to you, is it just voice? Is it like an intangible? What kind of things make it kind of jump off the page where you want to meet the person in person? That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look for this kind of sense of like, you know, sometimes, sometimes I read something and it's just like, oh, I wish I wrote this, <laughs> you know, and that's like, that's the biggest thing. Um, and sometimes it's just little bits. That, that joke really made me laugh. And that's hard. You know, if someone can do that two or three times at the script. Um, that's someone worth meeting, you know. Yeah, I'm always looking for, I mean, the thing is, you, there's a lot, you read a lot of good stuff. You know what I mean? So it gets, it get, it can be hard, but then, but then every once in a while you read something that just, I don't know. I'd love to be surprised, you know, and, and maybe that's another way of saying, you know, if it's make me laugh in a way I didn't expect or make me, you know, surprise me with a, with a story turn or a character turn, 
something I just really feel like I haven't quite seen, you know, um, that's what really stands out for me, I guess. Were there any, um, false beliefs you got had like maybe 10 years, 15 years earlier in your career where you were so sure about something to do with screenwriting and then it changed so much over time? Not for me. I've always been right. <laughs> um, Paul. <laughs> I've always been wrong. I've always been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, thinking of a specific though. Wrong about screenwriting in general, about the business. I think those are here's one things. thing. I earlier in my career, I was absolutely convinced, you know, and acted upon this that like the best ideas will rise to the top, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and all you have to do is offer them. And they will sell, they're going to sell themselves and they're going to fight for themselves because they're that good, you know? And no, they have to be sold and they have to fight. You have to and not just have one, but like be good at fighting its way all the way onto the air. This job, and, and especially as you move up the ranks and you, and you pitch your own shows, we're, we're salesmen. I mean, this is, this is death of a salesman. Yeah. And we have to convince, um, Producers, studios, networks, actors, we have to convince them that this is the thing they should do next. Uh, out of all the you know hundreds of other projects they have um, that they've invested various levels of time and money and whatever in, why should we do yours? And you know that's yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to these things don't. And I think that is the same thing. Probably, you know, I would say the same thing that Paul said. But every young writer thinks like, oh, just a great idea. It's going to happen. And it's just, you know, you have to want it to happen. Somebody has to want it to happen for it to happen. And I think more than ever in this business, like that's just the reality. Uh, There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of good stuff. um, But you have to convince people that not only should they get involved and invest time and money in but that you know you are going to carry this through and you're going to be a steward to this idea and you're not going to give up on it and i think once you if you can do that and if you get people to really see like oh they, they really these guys really want to do this you know that means a, an awful lot is there an additional like stack that has gotten greater over the years too like it seems like you also have to have we got the rights to the book. We got Bob Odenkirk. We got, you know, like, it seems like you need all those other things too. Do you need a lookbook? Do you need a trailer? Like how, how mm-hmm. big is your briefcase walking in there? Well, for this one, it was, you know, yeah, you're right. We had a book with a, with a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist. We had Bob Odenkirk who had not only just like led, you know, led it led a series to great success, but just had this movie come out where he he put it. So, you know, so it was that kind of combo. Well, let's not forget and then Mark, we had Mark Johnson Oscar producing. Winning, yeah, Oscar then, winning uh, Mark Johnson, Oscar winning uh, Peter Farrelly. Yeah, yeah, we had a pretty, and it was still package. hard. It was still hard. <laughs> So I usually ask people breaking advice. You kind of already covered a lot of that. Tell me a little bit about persistence. What what makes you guys persevere from project to project? How do you think about longevity in the business? 
Yeah. Now I feel like I always fold project to project completely and then have to build myself up. <laughs> but it's just like, oh, I'm done. I'm out. Oh, I can't. I don't have what it takes anymore to do that. Uh, we need stuff that excites us. We were just talking about this. Yeah. But we need to be really excited about what we're doing because it's so much work and it it's uh and it can be so hard and it can be so many years you know you just kind of don't get to say how many years it's going to be before you even start anymore because now they're treating it like movie development you know um and they just they may love something but they don't actually give the green light until they're completely ready and happy mm. so uh this kind of like this soft green light or you're in a yellow light or so um we gotta love it any other just like last bits of encouragement for writers trying to break in today oh man it's it, it's a really you know i just read this new yorker article that was i think the title was uh um why tv writers are so miserable um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of negativity out there right now a lot of cynicism and i tell myself i guess the same thing i would tell anybody breaking in these things are cyclical you know i i've been doing this for almost 25 years like right now it's it's a little it's a daunting time it really is but that can change in a year when you know i mean i've heard that there were 30 percent layoffs across the board for um you know studios and deals and all that that's that's not a good place right now, but that, that doesn't last. It never lasts. You know, they'll, it's cyclical until AI comes and takes all our jobs. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.